Hey, Peter. Hey. What do King Oliver, Charlie Parker, and Bobby Watson have in common? Ooh, saxophone trumpets, uh, Kansas City, Kansas City, New Orleans. Uh, I don't know. That's it? That's all you got? Well, I mean, I, I went, yeah. It's a quick intro. Come uh, on, man. All right. Well, you're about to find out. Good. I'm Adam Manis. And I'm Peter Martin. And you're listening to the You'll Hear It podcast. Music advice coming at you in 2021. Oh my gosh, I can't believe it's 2021 already. Can you believe it? Yes, I just said it, so oh I, I believe it. But aren't you so thrilled <laughs> that it's finally 2021 and that miserable <sighs> bastard of a year is over? I mean, I am. I'm a, I, To be honest, I'm a little bit in the minority on this one. I know it's been very fashionable, and all the fashionistas are saying, oh, to put in 2020. The problem I have with that, I want to put 2020 behind all of us as much as anyone the problem is is we're in the same situation i know and nothing has really changed so i don't want to make it like oh we put it and then all of a sudden we realize nothing has changed and then we're like oh 2021 is doomed because i'm I'm an optimist i really believe this year is going to be far superior on the public health front around the world hopefully agreed Agreed. but it's not like we just turn the page on everything and go out and party and lick everybody i don't think we're time for that yet also you and i because i'm kind of with you too like for me especially relatively to how bad it could have been 2020 was not bad you know what i mean like we we, we, have, we both realized that we don't hate our spouses even though we, we had to be with them all yeah, that was the big game changer. oh my gosh to realize you actually love your family that's an incredible gift it is yeah. but but no you know we're so lucky as musicians yes all the gigs dried up but we have this opportunity with open studio to still be creative and to make things and uh you know we we were luckily healthy uh, in, during this time so that's uh, that's a real gift so yeah for uh, sure for, for sure yes it, it could have been much much worse so uh, yeah. shout out to everybody though uh for the the new year and uh i we you know it's a new year peter i don't like the new year new you either i'm, a, I'm going against the grain <laughs> for that for sp- specifically for that but that new year new you to me that just i don't know it seems like I'm, you know, you're fine. You don't need to lose any weight. You don't need to learn how to do well, magic. Yeah, because you're skinny. Of course. Well, no, you know. yeah, it's no, but you know what I'm saying. It's like, come on, man. I want to, I want to use this year to like uh, accept my flaws. How about that? How come no one talks about that? Where's the, uh, where's the diet culture on that? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> My biggest fault is I can't find any any flaws to accept <laughs> about myself. I can't find any fault. <laughs> no, but you know, it is a new year and we thought that we would, I don't know if you know this, but this is the third year of the You'll Hear It podcast. I, yeah. It doesn't seem like a lot years wise, but this is like, we're in the 700s for I episodes. Know. No, it's, it's insane. A, that's a lot of damn episodes of a jazz podcast. I mean, and produce. it's like, I could easily name all 700 of those episodes. Starting with number one, go. No, <laughs> Couldn't name any of them. I know. So uh, we thought that we would kind of switch it up here in the way that we're doing this. We're going to, we're going to change a little bit of the form mm. of the podcast. We're going to keep the the tone and the style, the witty banter. The That's same, not going anywhere. But we're going to do we're going to maybe do a little less frequency, maybe one a week, maybe two a week if we mm. if we see how it goes. But make them a little longer and a little more in depth and have okay. a little more um, uh, sort of. A little more to them, a little more meat on the bone, uh, because they'll. Oh, come on now, we we had some meaty bone. I know, there. no, we, we. But we did always feel like when we were on the daily thing, we're trying to keep it to ten to twelve minutes. Yeah, 15 it's, it's minutes. weird how that's always kind of on your mind, even if we 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 we, we want to honor each subject. And I think we've done a good job of this over these last few years of giving each subject and topic the time that it needs, but. 
we don't want to take up everybody's day. We, we, we don't want people to feel like, oh, I'm falling behind or whatever. So we tried to get the pacing right. But it's been feeling like we could delve into certain topics a little bit deeper in a way. And, and our hope is for the dear listener, as our North Korean uh, brothers and sisters oh like to, Sorry. Oh, my God. <laughs> that doesn't change. Yeah, yeah. No, but, you know, the idea is that for the listener, this might be, dare I say, something that could be consumed over several days over a commute or your breakfast bagel or whatever it is. Yeah, and it's just really, too, it's a way for us to kind of switch it up, to stay creative, to refresh for ourselves, and for yeah. us to really explore some things we're interested in, which brings me... Wait, hold on a second. So basically you're saying new year, new you. No, I didn't. I would never say that. I would never say that. Hey, by the way, we are also... New year, new podcast. New year, new I would never. I would never say that. All right, but that does bring me to uh, the topic of of this episode. So I'm calling this episode The Evolution of an Artist. And this might be a series because today we're doing The Evolution of an Artist and mm. we're doing all trumpet players. And the idea on this, I, I, I know you know this, but uh, I've been thinking a lot about storytelling. In my music, in what we do with our teaching at Open Studio, and in just how we do everything with Open Studio, including this podcast. And, you know, a story has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And I've been listening to some iconic trumpet players in my own personal listening recently, mm. and I thought it might be fun to go through these iconic trumpet players and listen to the first thing they ever recorded, listen to something in the middle of their career or maybe their artistic or, or commercial peak, okay. and then listen to the very last thing they recorded. Doesn't wow. that sound like fun? That sounds great. And so I picked three slouches, Louis Armstrong, Miles Davis, and Roy Hargrove. Wow, and I thought I like that we them. could. Uh, no, I thought we could li listen to literally the first thing that any of these guys ever put on recording, at least for something that's still available, like a major, a major release. Um, Ooh, I just made a connection between the intro. Now I got, got you. it. Okay. Now I don't want to give it away. I don't want to spoil alert. alert yeah, anybody. yeah. And then uh, I picked. I picked what I thought was. So, oh man, so uh, we'll go through it, but then again, something from the middle period, really something from what might be considered their artistic or commercial peak. We can talk more about that when we get there. And then again, something from the very last record they made. Okay. So with that said, we're going to start with Louis Armstrong and we are going to start with the very first thing that Louis Armstrong recorded. I thought we could listen to maybe some or all of these tracks. We don't have to listen to the full thing, but just to get a flavor of their playing uh, when they were very young and very new to the game. So this is from 1923. This is King Oliver's Creole Jazz Band. Louis Armstrong was 22 years old on his very first recording, which actually is probably a little bit older than I thought he might be. Right. But this was, but you know, recording wasn't as available back in the day. So right. this is him in King Oliver's uh, Creole Jazz Band. This is Chimes Blues. Thank you. 
That is a 22-year-old. Wow. So this was 1924? 1923. 23. So, yeah. I know he's got varying dates of birth. Exactly. That's (laughs) what I was trying to remember. Which one are we going So he was either 21 or 22 uh, when he recorded that. But you can already hear he's there. He's there. He's got got it there. As as we'll kind of hear with him, Miles, and, and Roy Hargrove, that out of the gate they had something that was very particular like a very distinct sound you yeah. you could listen to that and and realize that's Louis Armstrong right away absolutely and i mean i think that you have the stylization of not only Louis Armstrong sound that you know was pervasive in his playing you can already hear it for the rest and then we're projecting forward all the way to the 70s you know and to his whole career but also that kind of initial spark and stylization of the joy and feeling and freedom of improvisation with and you know we always think about it as a rhythmic thing there's obviously the rhythmic element there but the phrasing that free phrasing which just informed everything john coltrane cecil taylor i know that sounds like a stretch no that's but true it's there you know it's that spirit of the music that it's always an oversimplification to say that you know he's the father of jazz or the creator or whatever but that's that spirit is so pervasive and infused forever that it's uh it's a, it's incredible that it was already there yeah and you know it's what's, like a sparkle in his eye there's a twinkle right a twinkle. You, there's a couple of things that are i think that strike me first of all the the entire feel of that whole band is yeah. so grooving it's crazy but yeah. his eighth note in particular yeah. And I think when I think when it's a little freer than everybody else, right? it's a little bit straighter. It's a little <laughs> yeah. bit freer. Like yeah. it feels a little bit more it's modern, more modern right? in that you and I would play an eighth note like that, right? right? And no one else in that band would play that kind of eighth note. If we have any faults, it's that we play our eighth notes too much, like Louis uh, Armstrong. <laughs> we have one fault. It's, but you know what I'm saying. And yeah. then also that that gliss up where he does that very human. I mean, he's he is a vocalist. Yes. you know, with that horn. I yeah. mean, it really sounds like he's just singing with the trumpet, and uh, it's just a great introduction i think anybody would be happy if that was their first recording <laughs> that's right yeah it'd be a little bit of a challenge where do you go from here <laughs> where do you go from here well we're not going to go too far so you know i threw around how to to this middle section right our second piece from each one of our great trumpet players where do we go peak as in what i consider the artistic peak do we go to like actual what is their best-selling work I kind of went with somewhere of a mixture of that. What's kind of their most cultural, impactful thing that they recorded? So with Louis Armstrong, I was like, well, do I do What a Wonderful World? Yeah. I've done many a wedding gig where that's got called. <laughs> Play the Louis Armstrong yeah, song. Yeah, But I think, and I think you'll probably agree, that Weston Blues, that this Hot Fives and Hot Fo- Sevens era was his artistic, Not I don't want to say peak because it makes it sound like he didn't <laughs> do anything. That, no, but it, it was, I think, what defines him for most sure. musicians. Sure. I think it's one of the high points of his career. Yeah. And West End Blues is certainly a highlight in the history of jazz, not just in his career. Yeah. And so for me, this was a little bit more what he's going to be remembered by. Yeah. Uh, so this is West End Blues. This is Louis Armstrong and his Hot Fives.
Beautiful. Louis Armstrong and his Hot Fives play West End Blues. That's obviously such an iconic uh, tune in our music uh, that we love so much. And it's just, it's it's a masterpiece from start to finish. It is. And there's so many, uh, there's so many different moments. And uh, I'm sure they just laid it down at the time and moved on. But yeah. it's so impactful. I always think back to the, you know, I can't remember the exact quote from Billie Holiday, but she was very influenced by this recording. And like, I mean, in terms of like improvising and scat, which she wasn't necessarily super known for, but like this was a record. We always think about like- It's got her vibe though, for sure. It does. And we always think about this stuff as like later on, it was really understood the impact of it. But this had a huge impact. And you know, King Oliver actually went back and re- This is his song. Oh, wow. He went back and re-recorded this. He was like, you're not taking mine to make <laughs> yeah. it a hit. Yeah. Well, it was such a hit, too. Yeah, it was sure. just such a vibe. But I think the moments, like, there's just some things in terms of improvisation. On the introduction, you know, the clarion call is when Marsalis calls, and all this is, is amazing. But, like, his effortless, it's very modern the way he slides between, like, in time and out of time. And the whole thing is so, like, authentic blues influence yeah. as well. Yeah. There's so many different layers and, and, and just joy in this. And then Earl Hines, like... Oh, man, I love that feel. Yeah, I mean, it just, like, you see the link between that and Oscar Peterson yep. and... and and everything else. So that was 1928. He was 27 years old mm. when he made that. So his first recording... Chicago, Illinois. Recording in Chicago. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So he was 22. This is only five years after he made his debut on, on record. Yeah. Um, which is a little early, even amongst uh, our other two trumpet players here. So uh, he died in 1970, uh, 71 maybe. And he, I'm trying to remember that, but he was 69 years old when he made his very last record. Uh, and he did... This is how... I mean, this is how like much of a breadth of a career he had, you know, recording Chimes Blues with King Oliver and then finishes out with a John Lennon song, Give mm. Peace a Chance. And it's killing. I've never heard this before. I never heard that. I never 71, heard this he died in 71. Died in 71. Thank you. So 
Yeah, this is from, uh, let me see here, his recording, Louis Armstrong and His Friends. It's from 1970. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and so this is Give Peace a Chance. Oh, yeah. Killing. It is. Give such a I mean, to live a life like that, right, where you're recording in, you know, New Orleans with the King Creole jazz band, and then to come and end with this, you know, gospel version of Give Peace a Chance. This is so cool. I mean, the slick 70s vibe. And that's his last recording. That was his very last recording the year before he died. He died in 1971. Uh, and this was recorded in 1970. And I mean, just what a what an icon of the 20th century yeah. to live that entire recorded existence. So our next trumpet player uh, is another icon of the 20th century, Miles Davis. Mm. Ever heard of him? Ever, ever heard of that guy? Miles made his recording on those Charlie Parker uh, dial sessions, uh, his debut. Well, oh. well so the, the, his debut was actually as a sideman with this like really unknown uh, saxophone player. And I didn't feel like that captured what it was. It it, it was the same year. Okay. Um, His name was like, his name was like Glenn something. I'm going to space on that. No, no, it's all good. But I like, I I like where you're going with this. This was the same year. And I was like, uh, just that, that didn't, the very first recording, it didn't quite capture what I think he was onto, which is, uh, this this is Moose the Mooch from the Charlie Parker Ooh, uh, yeah. all those uh, those dial sessions check it out. Thank you. 
That's a 20-year-old Miles Davis playing with Charlie Parker. And it's, again, just like with Louis uh, Armstrong's first recording there, it's kind of all there. Like, I mean, for sure the trumpet playing is there. Absolutely. Um, But the artistry is there, too. There's some subtle little things going on there that are very Miles. That's not just a dizzy clone. That That is his own person. No, and this was, of course, you know, something played and written, you know, with Dizzy in mind for sure. Uh, you know, I, I think that Miles, what, what, and, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit probably, but what we're going to see with all these great trumpet artists is that their personality, their persona, there's all this stylistic things and the influences on others and trumpet's always been a very influential instrument, but their personality the technique in order for your personality to come out on your instrument, that was always already well formed at this time. So this must have been... Uh, 1946. Okay, so Miles is like... 20 years old. 20, okay, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, 20 years old. Yeah. He yeah. was uh, recently, you know, had moved to New York the year before. He was at Juilliard. Yeah. And uh, dropped out to play in Charlie Parker's band, as you do. Yeah, and he was out on the West Coast, I think, when they recorded. This was part of that, like Dizzy had left and they were yeah. playing out there and brought miles with him so miles's middle period his middle period this was a tough one my first choice was actually esp because i think Mm. for me that is the esp nefertiti era that that quintet is my favorite it's some of my favorite music of all time and you consider that mid yeah i guess that's mid that's mid he was like 39 years old but i i chose something that i think is his most iconic work okay it was something that it's so hard for us to listen to kob kind of blue yeah now without putting it in the context that not a lot sounded like it at the time. I yeah. mean, you could say it's like West Coast or whatever, but it's really not. Modal jazz. Yeah, I mean, it, it really it really was a game-changing event. So yeah. that's what I chose for Miles' iconic section here, his, his most well-known work. It's got to be this. It's got to be So What.
Just 13 years after making his recording debut there, he was the most famous jazz musician in the world. Yeah. And they kind of blew. And man, that is such... I mean, I know we've heard it and we talk about it all the time, but... Because it's good. Damn, that's good. Paul Chambers, man. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Uh, okay, so that's so uh, what? We all know... 32 years old, by the way. I was just checking that. So it was... It was 1959. He was 32 when he made that. So yeah. he was 20 when he made his debut. He was 32. 12, 12 years. 12 years wow. after that. Yeah, yeah. That's a progression right there. So... Yeah, Miles then... He was uh, a kid. He was just... Am I getting older? He's 32? That's a kid. That's kid's age, right? It's, it's a he's kid's a little, age. little it's young Miles age. Davis running around. No, he's... I mean, it's interesting to look at the arc of great artists and their work, um, be that dancers, composers, you know, um, painters. It, it really doesn't matter. Uh, but to think about... There's a lot of different approaches to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of different... You know, when you look at the historical record of somebody's output, you know, there's different ways of saying like, wow, their most productive period was during this time. Their masterpiece came in their 40s there. And I don't necessarily know that there's a pattern to it outside of I'm always surprised when I I see what can be accomplished. The gravity of a record like this can be created by somebody at that relatively young age, considering what we have the perspective of all the things that he played before that and after that for many years. Yeah, and as we as we go here into his his the track from the very last record he made, which was Dubop, uh, he was sixty five. I can't think of an artist that changed more in his lifetime, mm. in relatively short amounts of time than Miles. And yeah. as we go from Moose the Mooch with Charlie Parker, like straight up the, the most classic bebop record you can have classic to so what which is which defined an era and is still the most famous jazz album ever to where he landed which was still incredibly innovative uh i was i was given a full-on listen to Dubop man and it's first of all it's really good yeah like he didn't it was not a. This is not like an old man album. This is, is it cool? Modi on this record. Everybody's on yeah. this record. Everybody wanted to work with Miles, and so this is Chocolate Chip from Dubop. Check this out. This is the same man. He was sixty-five years old. Recorded in nineteen ninety-one. Released after his death in nineteen ninety-two. He was, he died in ninety-one, and this was released uh, mm. the year after.
that's not a beginning to a Spike Lee movie, I don't know what <laughs> it is. That's such a great vibe, man. Man, it's awesome. That's bringing me back to some really nostalgic early 90s vibes. That Absolutely. whole sound is incredible. Check out Dubop. If you haven't checked it out or anything from Miles' this later period, you're, I think you might be surprised by how much... If you can be open-minded about it and not expect kind of blue, yeah, you're going to be surprised at how how groovy it is and how good of trumpet playing was going on. With Absolutely, Miles, I remember seeing Miles live. Um, well, actually, the last time I saw him live was right around uh, this. Well, it was 1990. Actually, I, I I crazily got a chance to play in a group that opened for Miles wow. in Atlanta, Georgia, at, at the uh, big amphitheater thing there with Marlon Jordan. But and, and got a chance to meet him. That was ninety or ninety one, maybe. But I saw him live uh, concert with my dad up in New York in like eighty six or eighty seven. Yeah, uh, we were up there. Um, just real quick story. I was like really into jazz, and it was the summer, and my mom was out of town. She was actually out of the country, uh, and and my dad was like had some like unexpected vacation time from work, and he's like. Uh, what do you want to do? There's nothing going on. He's like, well, let's go to New York. You want to see, see who's playing? Let's look at the New York Times, see who's yeah. playing up in New York. I was like, cool, let's do it. Yeah. And like, we literally left that day. Oh my God. We drove to New York. That's amazing. Yeah. That's and good dadding, right? That there. was good dad. That was bored dadding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like, we stayed with his friend from college in the Bronx and stuff. But we went and saw. So I was just like looking up all this different stuff. But Miles was playing out of Jones Beach cool. at the big outdoor yeah, sure. amphitheater thing. So we went out and saw him. Um, my first contact high from a police officer sitting in front of us smoking weed. Nobody's, it was very exciting. Don't feel bad. <laughs> Nobody's ever been to the Jones Beach Amphitheater and not caught a contact <laughs> high. Right. So go, go ahead. That's right. But um, yeah, he was very much this, the sound at that time. And I was into all his older recordings, but I was like, wow, that's Miles. And he's playing. I mean, he was playing his butt off. He's playing, man. He's playing yeah. great. I love it, man. And so, you know, that is, to me, you could do a whole, we could do a whole hour on Miles' career and the changes that happen. But to go from moose to moose, to start, again, it's just... It's kind of like Louis Armstrong here, with yep. starting with the Chimes Blues, ending with something like "Give a Give Peace a Chance" for Miles, starting with Moose the Moose, ending with that that chocolate chip from uh, from Dubop. It's it's really awesome. Good so, stuff. Sixty five years old and still making like funkier, well, hipper music than I've ever made. That's, that's right. right. Well, I'm mean, sorry, I didn't mean to be like that's right, but well, no, that's true. Longevity, longevity. Uh, so our third trumpeter. Uh, is somewhat he was born between so what and chocolate chip <laughs> he was right he was born in 1969 and the great roy hargrove mm. uh who we lost a couple of years ago and uh we're I'm, I'm really i'm actually sad as i was putting this together that we don't really have a later roy hargrove period right. i mean his later period was his peak years <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah uh but i thought i would i'd love to just kind of listen to his very first recording and then what I consider to be what he's known most for. That was a, that was actually a tough one. Uh, I chose what you think I'm going to chose. Mm-hmm. And then we can close out with something from his last record. Okay. Um, so his very first recording, do you know it? I I don't know it. I remember hearing it, and I remember when he played. This is with Bobby Watson? Bobby Watson. Yeah. yeah. I remember seeing him play with Bobby Watson, and like he got the gig, and that was like a big thing. And yeah. It was like, wow. You know, cause... Bobby Watson, saxophonist out of Kansas City, Missouri. This is his band, Bobby Watson and Horizon. Ooh, it's a good, good, good group. This is no question about it. If you haven't heard this, just here we go. Now you have.
That's an 18-year-old Roy Hargrove. Yeah. 18 years old. 1988 was when that record was made. And 1988! I, if I were 18 and had to play those changes that fast, <laughs> I would be in front of some great musicians. I yeah. would be so terrified. But he just comes out and crushes it. And that was his debut. That was the first recording that he was on, at least from a major artist. That was on Blue Note, that record, Bobby Watson and Horizon. Yeah. So uh, several years later, actually uh, more like uh, 20 years later, we're here in his, I mean, there. this was really tough. There was so much to choose from that you could choose from as, as his peak. Yeah. Uh, but I think what he's going to be remembered for is Strasbourg saying to me like the first thing that you that most people will think of because it's become a standard and because yeah. that video is so compelling and yes. his recording on Ear Food is so compelling and that record Ear Food has been so influential with a lot of it's musicians. A it's great a great record. record. And there were things before this that we could have chose, but uh, this is what I kind of landed on as the big obvious one. He was 38 years old when he made this album, uh, which is pretty awesome. So this is Roy Hargrove, Strasbourg, Saint-Denis. This is from 2008. The whole thing is just so great, man. Yeah. Joe Clayton's solo is iconic. But just that whole composition, you hear that now at jam sessions, which is amazing for something that was recorded uh, that long ago. Roy, 38 years old when he made that mm. album. 2006. That's my bad. Excuse me. So uh, the very last thing, the very last record he made under his own name. He did. I think it's 2008. Is it 2008? Yeah, I think it's 2000. Sorry, 2008. My bad. Yeah. Uh, so the very last thing he did was his big band album. That's the last thing he did under his own name. He recorded a bunch in the final decade of his life, but he had 10 years where he didn't record under his name before he died, mm. which is a bit of a shame, you yeah. know? Um, but also, I feel like we definitely got him at his best with this big band record. The writing and arranging from him and others on it as well is really, really amazing. I think my favorite part is the is the is the final tune, and it's actually a tune that he recorded uh, on his Nothing Serious album. It's Trust, and wow. I, I think this is I'm almost sure this is Roy's own arrangement of it. But this was just the very next year after Earfoot. This was 2009. He was 40, um, and this was the last thing he made under his own name. Do you right. remember this album? Did oh you yeah, this out? yeah. This was a great record. So this is the final cut on this. Listen how beautiful this is. This is Trust from the Roy Hargrove Big Band album. Mm-hmm. 
That's Trust from Emergence, the Roy Hargrove big band. The composition and the arranging is, dare I say, Bobby Watson-esque, Pierre. Mm. <laughs> there's, yes. there's definitely like you can hear where he's coming from. This is what was so fun about listening to these sort of the, 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 the wide gap here in, in icons like this, their recording careers. You can kind of hear where they're going. And you kind of picture it all as one big river. You could see the mouth. You can see, you know, where it ends up in the ocean. It's just, it's amazing. Yeah, and um, I remember playing some Bobby Watson tunes with Roy back in 94 and 95, but also Pamela Watson, mm. um, who was an amazing composer. She wrote Once Forgotten. We used to do that and some other tunes I'm blanking on now, but big influence on him as well. Yeah, such solid writing on that too. Love the arranging. Love the, the shout chorus. Swing yeah. too. Swing too. Well, this was super fun, man. Yeah. I love this new format. I love going deep. I love kind of getting into the weeds here. It's really nerdy. It's That's great. right. That's <laughs> right. Now, this is awesome. It's so, uh, you know, to, I mean, we're, we're just scratching the surface, but I think to peer at the arc of the career of uh, three great trumpeters that are so disconnected, but so connected sure. at the same time sure. is, is such a cool thing. I mean, the music that, you know, unites so much. Um, and to finish with, with, with Roy is, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great thing. Yeah, man. Well, uh, if you like what you hear, heard here, go to, uh, go to your, your podcast app and leave us a rating and review. Peter, right. I know you like rating and reviews. Let us know what you think of the new format. We're really excited about this. We are excited. Yeah. So, and you can also go to openstudiojazz.com if you want to support the podcast and get one of our courses, maybe get into some more nuts and bolts of what's going on in some of this music. We do have lots of jazz improvisation courses. So go check that out, openstudiojazz.com. That's right. We have not, I was just checking, we did get a couple is see this going back a couple weeks so you talking about some rating and reviews yeah some five stars we we pref- we accept five stars but we prefer six or seven i mean seven st- six i know seven stars i know this seven is a new stars. year what yeah are talking about uh we are having a problem still an ongoing um complaint that we have in with the apple podcast system that is not allowing certain users to go beyond five stars so i don't know you got any suggestions for them? Uh, fire Tim Cook. <laughs> I mean, come on, we need USB. Big shout out to Tim. We got to have USB one on our on our laptops, Tim. That's ridiculous, man. I shouldn't have a dongle to bring, plug in. Bring everything. back a classic. Oh my god. <laughs> as he as on a laptop, he's able to simultaneously mix, produce, compose. Hey, what happened to the song? I was enjoying that, man. Where'd it go? It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. He's still learning. He's still learning. Until next week, you'll hear it. <laughs>